This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, as you know, by following the news, a meeting was held in Portobasque last night to outline the financial framework available to residents affected by Hurricane Fiona. The province has placed uh, a replacement value at a minimum of $200 per square foot. That amounts to $400,000 for a 2,000 square foot home. A valuation process is also in place for land, a lot of which was scoured by the storm surge. Property contents will be covered in accordance with the Disaster Financial Assistance Arrangements Program. Some 85 to 90 homes either washed away, rendered uninhabitable, or cannot be reasonably repaired. Area MHA Andrew Parsons provided an update on the meeting with uh, Ben Murphy on your VOCM Mornings this morning. We'll let you hear some of that before we go to our guest today, who happens to be Renee Roy of Rick House Press in Portobasque. So before we get to him, we are going to uh, play you a little bit of uh, Andrew Parsons with his update on the meeting in Portobasque last night. You know what? It went, I think, fairly well. Uh, I know people in the area have been waiting some time now to uh, figure out basically what, you know, what was coming next. Like, well, you know, what are we dealing with? And, and obviously everybody within government from all over various departments has been working on trying to compile information and figure out and last night was an opportunity to tell everybody you know where we are so uh, there was you know there was a really good uh, turnout um, myself and the premier and number of staff are there and we sort of laid out where we are going similar to what you uh, identified there it's basically just a, you know it was meant for mainly the, those that had lost their homes there's also others who have had losses but uh, we're talking sheds or this or that there's still something we have to figure out but this is mainly to deal with those who ha- had lost their homes and had been displaced yeah so as i mentioned uh, the replacement value at a minimum of 200 per square foot for these homes or properties so can you just give us a breakdown of the supports available to these impacted residents yeah, so, I mean, in terms of the, the package, I guess, going forward, it's based on uh, starting at, at an assessment. So everybody's going to have, uh, I guess, an independent adjustment or assessment done of their home. Uh, and then there's going to be a replacement in the range of $200 per square foot. Then you throw in, uh, there's also going to be an assessment based on DF or disaster finance, uh, I guess, is assessment arrangement uh, regulations. We're going to be able to take care of people's contents. And then we're also going to work with people in various communities, uh, not just Port of Bass, but there's other communities, uh, to find them replacement land. So we'll work with the municipality. So for in Port of Bass, for instance, there's, uh, we'll work with the town to find people a new piece of land uh, that they can build on. So that's sort of the package going forward. There's still the, the specific work that has to be done to figure out you know, what their specific situation is, uh, but that's the package going forward. Now, in, at the same time, we've been working with people right now on uh, making sure that they have a, accommodations assistance uh, going forward, working with people to find uh, arrangements for, for rent or whatever situation. So those have been ongoing and will continue on. Do you know if most residents whose properties were a complete loss plan to rebuild in the area? 
Again, I don't have a detailed take on that. Most of what I have is anecdotal because I think a lot of people have not truly been able to make that decision because they didn't know where they were going to end up. I think last night will help people move forward in that decision making. Uh, There's a lot of people I think that uh, I would say the vast majority do want to rebuild and to rebuild uh, in this community. Uh, But there are some others, depending on what stage of life they're in that they you know they may want to stay here but they may not necessarily want to build a new home they may want to look at the possibility of moving into a, a, a new style of living whether that's an apartment whether it's cottages you name it so there's going to be options to help them you know to deal with what their loss was but also to help them move forward into you know whatever comes next we're speaking with the MHA for Virgil LaPoyle, Andrew Parsons on your VOCM mornings. And Minister, were residents satisfied with what was said at the meeting last night and this package available? I think overall, I mean, I can only go based on uh, the conversations I've had since then, the questions, the messages. And I, I do think that most people seem fairly upbeat about what they were told. I mean, everybody's specific situation means that, you know, there's a lot of situations people still require a little bit of clarification. Their situation may have uh, a little bit of complexity or difference. That's been half the challenge here is that, you know, in each situation, there's a uniqueness that we're trying to take care of, but at the same time, realizing that we need to move forward because overall, people want to find you know, what what is next. Uh, everything I've heard has been fairly positive. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't people that are that have questions or wonder, well, what does it mean for me in this way or that? Uh, but overall, the absolutely, the consensus seems to have been that it was well received. Uh, people are appreciative. Uh, they realize in many cases that look, this was a case of trying to help people in light of the fact that their insurance didn't provide anything. And so we're, we're stepping up to try to help them through that. And we've heard from Mayor Button and speaking about, you know, the difficulties in, in trying to rebuild and even still clean up from Fiona with the ongoing rough weather that has continued to kind of batter the area in the weeks since Fiona. So, Minister, do you think the community will ever really get back to normal? It's going to take time. I mean, there's there's obviously a bricks and mortar situation here where people have lost homes. Uh, it's changed the face of various streets and neighborhoods. Uh, but the mental effect has been tremendous. It's been you know, incalculable. People uh, who have spent their entire lives living on the water don't want to be there. And that's going to take a while for people to adjust to. Uh, speaking to Brian yesterday, like even last weekend was the first, we'll say, real weather event since the storm. And people were more worried than perhaps we've ever seen them because of this, just wondering, you know, how it will affect us. So I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, but the fact that we're able to finally lay out a future path for people in terms of where they are going to live next, I do think it's going to help people in that process. And you also just mentioned there the mental impacts on so many people in the area, and you mentioned other supports available to people as well. Can you walk us through some of those supports? Absolutely. So, I mean, anything we've done during this, we've had mental health supports the entire time. Even last night in that meeting, there was a number of people from Western Health there ready to help out. Uh, and they've been helping people through this process. Just, you know, in, in some cases, there's been grieving. 
Uh, in some cases, just just people, you know, there's a, a huge sense of anxiety. So we've been working with people on that, providing the supports that they need, whatever they need to help them get through that. Uh, and again, just and sometimes the anxiety is caused by the financial side of things. So we're trying our best to, to help people through that. I mean, people have received money from the Red Cross in terms of whether it's accommodations, in terms of moving, in terms of storage, in terms of replacement. So we're trying our best to cover up all these things. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still going to take some time. You know, the rebuild uh, will take time. But as long as people know that, you know, we're there and we're with them, uh, hopefully that can help. Uh, that was Andrew Parsons, the MHA for uh, Bergio Lapoil, which includes um, the entire area actually uh, affected by um, Hurricane Fiona back in September. Uh, coming up right after the break, we're going to be speaking with our guest today, Renee Roy of Wreckhouse Press in Porta Bass. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. So our guest today on On Target is someone who has been following and covering the Hurricane Fiona uh, situation and its effects since it tore across the southwest coast September 24th and 25th. Feels like a million years ago and uh, last night all at the same time. Renee Roy is with Wreckhouse Press in Portobasque. Hello. Hi there. So it's been a busy time. It's uh, it's been quite hectic, uh, but we're finally starting to get some some you know some headway uh, in, in answers and in you know some direction on, on what people can do and what they can expect. It's been, it's been a while. Well, indeed. So the meeting was held last night, and some of the details have been revealed. What what exactly is being offered? Well, they're saying that they're going to make an offer of uh, you know a minimum of two hundred dollars per square foot, and that's going to be. Uh, if a house comes in under that level, they're going to bump it up to a minimum of $200 per square foot. And anything over that, of course, will get that higher amount. Um, you know, they're going to also offer uh, the average price of service lot value. So it's about $33,000 for a lot in Port of Basque. So, you know, they're, they're, it's... It might not sound like a whole lot, but if you've got a 200 or 300 foot square square foot home, then you're talking quite a few hundred thousand dollars to, you know, hopefully start again if that's what they choose to do. You know, I don't think everybody's uh, going to build. I, I know for a fact of some people who have already moved. I've spoken with someone who's moved to Gander. Is that He's right? Not willing to, yeah. So not willing to take a chance on Port of Basque anymore? Well, this couple has family in uh, Gander, and they were actually there when Fiona hit they had no idea their home was destroyed until someone contacted them the next day. They came down about five or six days later to see that their house had, you know, been gutted and, and demolished. Um, so they're staying with their, I believe it was their daughter in Gander, and they're going to, uh, they're going to make a permanent move there. Uh, they're just not willing to come back. And I suppose like a, like insurance, for instance, it's about replacement value. It's not necessarily about the actual value of the home. It's about trying to build something comparable somewhere else. Well, and that's, that's really what the issue is going to be long term, I think. It's not going to be just replacing the, the structure you had. It's going to be replacing everything that you put in that structure over years and years. 
um, you know, it's going to be a house fan or, um, you know, a collectible item, your family photos and furniture and appliances. It's every little thing that people are going to have to uh, to work on. And, you know, $200 a square foot, and like I say, it doesn't seem like a lot when you say it as $200, but, you know, it can it can come up to a couple hundred thousand or a little more than that, and hopefully it's enough to get people started again. And that's a tough thing, you know, uh, restarting, whether you're in your 20s or 30s or 50s or 60s. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, and for some of these people who have lost everything, uh, you know, there are seniors in the mix. There are young families in the mix. And no matter how old you are, I think the challenge is going to be deciding whether or not you want to you know, rebuild on terrain that might be compromised in the future or face the wreckhouse winds again. Um, you know, you might have that that option, but are you going to want to actually take it? Are you going to want to move to the Valley? Are you going to want to move to Gander or Stephenville, somewhere where you don't feel quite so vulnerable? And, uh, you know, starting over is never fun. Uh, and having to start over without ever expecting to, I, I couldn't imagine how, how trying that must be for people. And the, just those simple things, you know, going to put your hand on something that was always there uh, yeah. and knowing that it will never be there again. Um, Precisely. That's a, that's a hard thing to get around. You mentioned those all-important and precious photos and mementos. And we, in the days following the storm, we saw those stories involving people who were finding photo albums. Just imagine, just, you know, and, and stray photos and, and little things, uh, children's booties and stuff like that things that you know mean a lot. Um, were many people reunited with some of those precious things? I know that they did have a couple of days um, where they had salvaged items available for people to come and see if their property was there. I don't really know how much was was recovered. Um, the wind and, you know, of course, the, the tidal surge was, was so high that just an enormous percentage of it was simply taken. Um, you know, some things did wash up, and I know that some people did get some property back. Uh, we all know every one lady got her white claw back. So, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened than uh, not finding something. So She know, became uh, a bit of a national hero with that. She did, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully she got some, uh, some free you know, advertising out of it for White Claw, so hopefully they gave her something. <laughs> they did. I understand that they did. They stepped up in a big kind of way, so good for oh, them. Great. Um, we've seen the photos, of course, of, of from the devastation caused by the storm, many of which were taken by you and your staff. Um, what do those affected areas look like today? Well, today, uh, some of these areas actually still look the same. Uh, there are still a lot of homes that have to be taken down. Um, some of the roads, some of the the uh, you know the neighborhoods, I guess they're uh, they're quite different. Uh, there's quite an alteration. Um, you know, I, I, Water Street is just a few blocks from my home. It's a five minute walk, and uh, that's where the apartment was, and so many of these other homes, Smokey's home. Um, you know, there's simply nothing there now except rock, and it's it's an incredible transformation. Um, you know, disorienting, I would imagine. It's very startling. It's, it's, you know, no matter how many times you go around the block, uh, whether it's to walk your dog or, you know, get a bit of exercise yourself or go in the car, it's jarring when you come around that corner and it's just wide open. Um, 
it, it, I think it's going to take a long time before people are ready to, to come to terms with that. And I know some people, someone told me today, he, he still hasn't come down on Water Street because he doesn't think he can handle it. He doesn't want to see it because it's so different from what he remembers, you know, not just when he was a kid, but three months ago. It's just, it's a completely new landscape. Um, and I'm thinking about some of those neighborhoods that have been so um, affected. You mentioned the, the apartment complex, and we can still see in our mind's eye, you know, that video of it just being picked up and washed away. Uh, yeah. Just as simple as that. Um, and it struck me that, you know, looking at some of these affected areas, you know, you'd have two or three houses completely wiped away, others obviously very seriously damaged, and then another house just sitting there as if nothing had happened. Um, are people in those neighborhoods who are living in those homes that are unaffected, are they thinking about leaving those areas or will they stay on? How is that going to work? I I don't know for everybody, but I'm, uh, you know, being in the neighborhood, I certainly do talk to a lot of folks. I'm always out around town talking to everybody I can every day. And I know that some people that live in a home that hasn't been destroyed or hasn't been lost, they might have a bit of damage. They might be hoping for a bit of comp- compensation, but you know, they're probably going to carry on for the most part. I have spoken, of course, with one person who said, nope, I'm, you know, I can't sell it because who's going to want it now? But I don't want to stay here anymore. So, I mean, that's another issue that people have to, to try to come to terms with. You know, nobody's going to want to take that home from them now if, if they choose to sell and move because it happened once. Indeed. And, and then there's the whole other thing of, you know, your your home may be intact and your your possessions may be where they've always been. And but you look out the window and Sheila's home that you've been looking at your entire life is not there anymore. It's different. That's right. And that that alone can be, you know, enough to affect everybody's personal take on the neighborhood. It's not just Bob's home or Joe's home or Sam's home that's gone. It's my view and my neighborhood that's gone. It's my friends and my neighbors. And, you know, it it can it can alter everything in, in someone's personal space like that, like in, in their own home. What was it like when uh, some of those demolitions started? That had to be a hard day. Uh, there are a lot of hard days around here, yeah. Um, and uh, I think... I think a lot of people who had homes that were badly damaged but still there um, are struggling with the fact that their home is still standing and they can't get in. You know, I can look at my home and I can see where I lived and where this person grew up and, you know, where I had a barbecue with my neighbors, but I can't go there anymore. And I think a lot of people just want it washed away so that they can begin that process of accepting it and starting. And I think that's what last night went a long way towards because, you know, there are finally some answers and people can start now again instead of just lingering on looking at that home and thinking, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to wait more, I've got to delay more. And I want to ask you a little bit about that moving on process because so many families have been affected and winter is coming. We're all too aware. Uh, And what happens next when we come back after the break? Our guest today on On Target is Renee Roy with Rick House Press in Port of Basque. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. 
And our guest today is Renee Roy with Rec House Press. And of course, they had a big meeting in Portobas last night to detail the financial framework available to residents. And it offered some answers, I suppose, to many residents who were still left with an awful lot of questions. Uh, but Renee, you, you had some pretty bad weather on the weekend. What was that like? Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, I wasn't here over the weekend. <laughs> I was taking a small vacation for myself, um, but apparently it was quite a bit of wind. It ripped the sun right off of our uh, our offices here and, you know, knocked out my security cameras as well. So I had to get that all running this morning. But I guess there was quite a bit of weather, quite a bit of wind and uh, uh, intermittent power outages as well, from what I understand. So I don't think anything was lost. Uh, you know, I don't think there was any further damage apart from a bit of flooding. Um, but, you know, everything seemed to have held, fortunately. That had to be unnerving. I know Portobas gets its fair share of wind. We know that. Uh, well, hence the name the of your company. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it has to be unnerving now. Well, I think for the people who have, you know, uh, gone away well like my my own family has we we got away without any damage i don't think it really startles us in the middle of the night as it might someone who you know unfortunately had to flee in the middle of the night um i know people are affected by the water differently and i've also spoken with people who lost their homes who say you know it doesn't bother me you know you would think the waves and the ocean would make me feel nervous but it doesn't and of course the other is is also true you know, I, I can't stand the sound of the water anymore. And for, you know, for a new blander to, to say, I don't, I'm, I, the water makes me nervous. Well, that's, uh, that's quite a change. Indeed. Uh, and especially when you see the power of that water, like we did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is, uh, it puts you in your place, so to speak. Well, you can build for wind. You can build for, you know, uh, snow and, and rain, but you absolutely can't build for the ocean. There's nothing's going to stop it. Not a thing. So no. where are uh, some of these affected residents now, um, and how will they be accommodated through the winter? Well, that's, I think, one of the, the real big outlying questions right now. Uh, we've still got a lot of people in hotel rooms. Uh, we've got a lot of people with family. We've got some families that have uh, taken cabins or gone back to their cabins in the Codroy Valley and surrounding areas. Um, and, of course, we've got people that have simply left, um, you know, Gander and so on. Um, as for where they're going to be in the in the wintertime, that's, that's the real question because, you know, as you said earlier, we get a lot of weather. So if we get uh, a real big wind event or, uh, you know, another major storm or hurricane or something to that effect. Um, everybody's going to have to go to the Lions, Lions Club or an emergency shelter. You know, there's food from the Salvation Army again, of course, but, you know, it, just, it would be just another you know, stone on your back at that point. And uh, I don't think there's much more than just a dozen lots available for people to build on. So we have to, we, we have to hope that they do get things done by the 1st of April. I know municipalities have emergency plans, and I know Port of Basque had its emergency plan in place, but really there's no template for this kind of thing. Nobody can foresee the, that level of destruction. No, um, no, you prepare not. as much as you can, but there's no way to be fully prepared, I would imagine. So how do you, um, what are you hearing from residents in terms of uh, how they feel this is being handled, both by the municipality, the province, the country 
Well, I don't think there's any question that uh, everybody in town thinks that the municipal level government here, uh, Brian Button and town council, uh, have been top shelf. Like, he's just done so well, and he's done his absolute level best to get every bit of information he can out every night. And that goes a long way. Even if there's not a lot of information there, the fact that he's trying, I think, makes all the difference in the world to some of these families. Um, in regards to the provincial aspect, I think uh, the delay in trying to come up with this plan that they presented last night certainly frustrated people. Um, but now that it's here, I think a lot of that frustra- frustration has been uh, you know, allayed a little bit because they have some answers and they can, they can start thinking ahead now. Um, I know there has been some frustration here in town with the uh, the Red Cross and the, the not not the Red Cross, but the dispense dispensement of the uh, one and ten thousand dollar funds that some people still haven't gotten. Um, so hopefully that uh, that gets worked out soon. But you know, it's just every little thing can can pile on so much. So if there's one little thing that bothers you, and then another little thing, then it it all becomes just too much. And I think that's what a lot of people have been experiencing for so long. That proverbial straw, I suppose, right? Yeah. yeah. It keeps piling on and piling on and piling on. And eventually that last straw yeah. will break that camel's back. Exactly right. Um, what, uh, what, what's in, planned in terms of uh, new land or land set aside for some of these new homes? Well, Port of Bass right now has, and I believe it was 15 available lots, serviced lots, you know, with water and, and sewage and electrical already set on. They have 15 available lots, um, but we've got like 90 homes and 90 families to move into those 15 lots. Yeah. So if everybody wants that, one of those lots, then I guess they're going to have to come up with some sort of lottery system or you know, whatever plan they they decide to implement. I don't see every single person wanting to rebuild, especially in a, you know, a subdivision that they might not want to be located in. Some people will move. And um, my understanding is that the provincial government is going to work with the municipal and uh, as well with the uh, disaster financial assistance program, assistance program to see if they can, you know, free up some land for these families to, to avail of. And that's interesting. It will depend on the demand, won't it? And just imagine having to set up a lottery system to see who wants, who gets a piece of land there. Um, it's a plot, yeah. But again, as you indicated, not everybody wants to live in a subdivision. You know, I had a, a nice piece of land. I had my shed out back. I used to put my boat here and the, this there, and I need all this stuff, and I need a little piece of land, and I used to grow vegetables and all of that sort of stuff, and now you're putting me on a little... You're putting me on Post a hill with an industrial park two blocks away, and yeah. that's not what I want. You know, so there's, you know, hopefully they can come up with other options. But uh, my understanding was that the government, uh, the provincial government, set a deadline of April first. Not a deadline, but a, you know, a, a soft deadline, as you would. Um, but it sounds like a long shot to me. There's just there's a lot to be figured out, and not everybody is even sure if they're going to qualify for these offers. I. You know, I know one family that's uh, their, their home is still standing. They're living in it, but there is damage. But they don't know if they're allowed to be living in it. They don't know if they're in a flood zone. They don't know if they're going to qualify for this. They haven't been assessed. So those who have lost their homes are starting to get answers. But those who are still in their homes with severe damage are still waiting to figure out where they fall in that plan. 
So you know, there's there's just so much to be figured out. Will residents in some of these affected areas be able to rebuild near the coastline or will they be prevented from doing so? You mentioned some flood zones, but I mean, that was from a storm that came from a certain direction with winds from a certain direction. (laughs) You know what I mean? Those areas may never be affected again, whereas other areas might be affected next time around. Um, Will people be able to go near, uh, live near the coastline if that's what they choose? Well, I don't think the government is is going to actively say, hey, listen, you can't live near water. Uh, They'd have to move, you know, three quarters of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. But in regards to these particular spots, um, I I just don't know. They haven't really defined the flood zone yet, uh, no matter what. Like, they they don't know where it's going to be. Uh, Because, as you said, that was one direction. So that's, you know, one southern or western shore of the town that's, different but what about if it comes from the east next time or comes down off the mountains from the north so how are you going to define where the flood zone is all around town and then deny people the right to live in one little corner and not in the other so they do have to figure out what they're going to classify as a a high risk or a vulnerable zone for flooding or for storm surge Will they allow people to rebuild where they once were and just say okay but uh, here's the thing you're on your own well, that seems to be the general consensus amongst some of the homeowners and in, in their their thought on how it's going to be. Yeah, well, if they if they don't give me my land, then I'll keep my land and I'll rebuild on my land, and then I won't have, you know, any municipal assessment. You know, people are just they're still waiting, and we don't have that answer yet. And I don't think the provincial government has that answer yet. I don't know if they're going to be able to say you can't live there unless they reclaim the land. So that's that's still up in the air. You mentioned people, you know, still sort of watching and waiting. Is the is it the frustration building, or people understand some of these delays? After all, it is still only two months ago. Hard to imagine, uh, which is no time really, but <clears throat> must be an eternity for many people who are still living in flux. Um, so, well, how are people behaving? Absolutely, the frustrations up. If you go from a 600-square-foot home into a hotel room for three months and have nothing of your own personal property, every day is going to be frustrating. So every day that you're not getting an answer, it's just going to be that extra little straw. I think a lot of people are coping by, you know, availing of family and friends, community groups. You know, the 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 people who have lost homes are in, you know, their own uh, messaging groups to try and offer assistance and information and every time something happens they provide that to, to others to try to alleviate fears and, and provide answers but yeah people are still very frustrated I mean they're, they're absolutely happy that answers are starting to come but there are still a lot of answers yet to come For certain. And when we come back after the break, you mentioned the relief money, and I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Renee Roy with Rec House Press in Portabasque. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Guest today is Renee Roy with Rec House Press in Portabasque, getting a little update, I suppose, on the situation in the community. Of course, 
a big community meeting last night to discuss this uh, financial framework available for residents and uh, many residents coming away now with uh, some answers to their questions. Others still have uh, questions um, still up in the air. But uh, Renee, you mentioned this uh, relief money. What do we know about the relief money now raised through the Canadian Red Cross and how that's being dispersed? Well, what I know of is uh, the provincial $30 million that was promised in the immediate wake of Fiona went to uh, the Red Cross for distribution. Um, You know, the $1,000 per household for people who were evacuated and $10,000 to homeowners whose residences were destroyed. Um, I know that some families are still waiting to receive that compensation. Um, People are getting checks uh, directly from the Red Cross to help them with their day-to-day, such as groceries or gas or travel expenses. And they're also being compensated for rent in some cases, but there's still not a lot of um, equality in how it's being distributed. And a lot of people have expressed frustration on that. And I know that uh, the the province has also expressed frustration to the the Red Cross as well. They've also asked... uh, you know, residents, you know, here in Port of Ass and probably in uh, Gander and Fox Roost and Marguerite and so on to reach out to the Red Cross and, and try to to help those who are, who are still waiting for that. And is the fact that it was, was it all lumped together regionally or how is that working? I don't really know if it went regionally. I think it was simply the $30 million that uh, Premier Fury announced, I believe it was just three days after uh, Fiona had had landed. Um, that was directly earmarked for the southwest coast uh, because of all the... You know the the immediate aftermath to try to get money into these people's pockets so they had something and they could do something. Um, but I do know of families that are still waiting to receive that, whether it's the one thousand dollars, you know, if you were out for three or four days, or the ten thousand dollars if you're still out. Um, people are still waiting, and I believe it was just passed to the Red Cross, is my understanding. Now, please don't you know don't take this as gospel, but it was passed to the Red Cross for distribution and it's still you know being distributed there's just a lot of a uh, lot of i's to dot and t's to cross a monumental task really Absolutely. Um, so are you saying that people who are still in these hotel rooms are they out of pocket right now no i believe the government is is compensating for that and as well the red cross is issuing checks um the hotels and so on they're cutting enormous deals to help these people out just out of the you know, out of pure goodwill, which is, of course, what we all need right now. Um, but they are being they are being covered in regards to their bills for, you know, hotel room lodging and so on and so forth. There's also some that have started receiving rent assistance and assistance in finding lodgings, uh, rent or apartments or cabins and such. What, what was it like for the people of Port of Bass to know that there's been this huge outpouring of support from right across the province? I know here in the VOCM newsroom, the phones didn't stop people wanting to know, where can I drop this off? How can I make a donation? Where can I go? What can I do? Even though the information was everywhere, people still reaching out, trying to find ways to help the people of Port of Bass and surrounding area. Well, I can give you one little example. Um, I was contacted by a couple from Annapolis Royal in Nova Scotia who have no ties to Port of Bass. They own property in Twillingate, and uh, they were so touched by what they had seen 
um, through the media reports and Twitter and, of course, all the news reports, um, that they asked me to dispense out a personal donation of $5,000 to everybody who lost their home in Port Bath. Now, they thought it was simply 20 or 30 homes because they reached out right away. And when they found out it was actually 100, the amount being given to these families amounted to a little more than $50, if $50 exactly, as a matter of fact. But to a person, everybody that has come to our offices to receive that has been incredibly grateful because $50 might mean a tank of gas or a meal out with your family. And it's not just the fact that it's a mere $50. It's a fact that someone who has no ties to this area decided that these people are important to them. And that, I think, makes all the difference in the world. And that's probably what's keeping a lot of folks going. It's it's just an enormous, enormous heartwarming thought to know that someone out there is just, they want to help you. They never met you. They want to help you. What's, uh, I almost hate to say it, but uh, what's Christmas going to be like? Christmas is going to be great. Christmas is always great. <laughs> and you know what? Even if some people have a little bit of a tougher time, we're still going to make the best of it. We have to, and we're going to. That's what Port Bass is like. So it might be challenging. It might be different. You know, people still have family. They have friends and neighbors. Everybody knows everybody here. So you might not have a tree in your own house, but you can have a tree in everybody else's. Um, what about surrounding communities, Burnt Islands? Have you been out there recently or uh, Fox Roos, Marguerite? I've been down the coast a few times now, yeah. Uh, they're they're dealing with the same thing, certainly on a lesser scale because they're a smaller community. But uh, you know they're grappling with trying to clean up these properties and how to clean up these properties. Um, they're grappling with where to put these extra families and the repair costs, of course. Um, you know, the people down there are just as you know just as desperate for answers. As, as Port of Bass is. Now, this meeting last night might have taken place in Port of Bass, but it was for everybody. It was for people in Gander. It was for people in Rose Blanche and Burnt Islands. And, you know, it's just, I think they're all str- struggling with the exact same problems. And, you know, hopefully this goes a long way for them. That's, that's what this is all about, is trying to get an answer. It was, um, I guess, one thing for many journalists from across this province um, and across the country, for that matter, who arrived in Port Bass to report on one of the most significant stories that this province has seen in decades. Um, it's a whole other thing for someone who lives and works in the community and is reporting on this on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, uh, these are your family. These are your friends. These are your neighbors. How are you doing? Well, we uh, we slowed down a little bit, and uh, you know, for the first month or so, I'd say we were working about seventeen-hour days. Um, mentally, uh, we're trying to focus on the good because if we focus on the bad and just come up with all the negative, horrible stories that we hear, then you know it's going to take a toll on not just us but everybody who reads our work. So we're trying to make sure that people understand that there is still some good coming out of you know the province and the region and uh it's it's been challenging there, there's been days when i've come home and i've i've had to take a you know take a beat and, and sit down and just collect myself uh, some of the stories you hear are, are very difficult and you just want to help everybody but the best thing you can do is just try to 
try to help the next person and then the next person. You can't help them all at once, but it's it's challenging, very. And I suppose find those stories of resilience. The White Claw one, for instance, is is one of those typical, only in Newfoundland. It sort of says something about us as a people, uh, you know, with that bit of humor inflected into it, despite, you know, all of this devastation. Um, Do you see a lot of resilience? I see it starting to come back. Um, It's been a bit gloomy here at times. And I mean, that's certainly understandable, but now you're starting to see people chat a bit more in the grocery store or, you know, say hello to you in the post office. It's starting to come back into the neighborhoods. It's starting to come back into town and it's it's coming back into people's lives. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a long time, but sometimes, uh, sometimes you just got to keep carrying on. Well, thank goodness that you're keeping carrying on yourself and uh, your sister there at Rec House Press. We really appreciate your time, Renee. You're doing a great job there, of course, uh, and uh, you're always available. Really do appreciate your time in this update. I appreciate you having me on here today. It's really important, so thank you very much. And in the less than a minute we have left, any message you want to send out to the people in the area? Well, for anybody in the area who might be listening, I just want to say that... uh, you know, I know everybody's been having a tough time and everybody's struggling with this. But uh, if you give it another few more weeks, you might see you might see the portabas grinch popping around every now and then. Hopefully, try and lift some spirits or darken some Christmas trees. Well, that sounds very intriguing, uh, Renee Roy. <laughs> uh, really appreciate your time. All the best to you. If we don't speak before then, a Merry Christmas to you. Thanks. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. And we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.